change if what we sang is truly a, a prayer that you respond to from hearts that are honest and saying, we have reasons why what we sang doesn't always fit what we live. We don't always welcome you into the atmosphere of our lives. Lord, I confess to you there are times when I, I think, wouldn't it be great to stay in this moment forever because the moment we leave a place and an experience like this, we, we, feel, we feel a collision. There's, there's light in what we've done. It was true in the Old and New Testament. Isaiah was never the same. When he cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the Bible tells us that in the days of Revelation, when, when John got a vision of yet a future world where people, your people, will gather in your presence, the overwhelming experience that we will have and we will all participate in is not a bunch of chatter, not a bunch of words. It's the worship that says we love you, God. You are holy. You're the one that invites unholy people into your presence. And along with an open door that you extend to us, there's forces of darkness that want to exploit and complicate and confuse and darken the brilliance of your light. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into the world as light and you said that whoever turns to you will come out of darkness and into your light. May you help us to see your presence throughout our study this morning and some very real things that we will face and we will find a pathway to victory through. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of this church and my life. And everyone that agrees with that can say, and mine too. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, if you would, church, and uh, welcome, welcome, Welcome. Kids, have a super time. Some of you are already on your way, and um, there's good things for you as well this morning. I, uh, <clears throat> uh, what a difference a day makes. <laughs> that was, of course, a song from the late 50s, uh, actually, that described how my parents felt when I was born. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding, okay. Um, <clears throat> it was sung by a woman named Dinah Washington. How many of you remember that song? Yes, okay. And um, she's actually just describing something most people know about. When uh, a special person comes into your life and you were alone, uh, there's this, this beautiful sort of transfer, transformation that takes place. Her words, what a difference a day makes. <laughs> yeah. 24 little hours brought the sun and the flowers. Go ahead and look at somebody that you love and sing the rest of this, okay? <laughs> Where there used to be rain. I'll move along because it's... <laughs> no, folks, that was not a dog howling that you heard there. Um, actually, those words... I. Uh, you know, it seems to me that um, it sounds a lot like Oregon weather uh, that we've experienced. Um, we took a drive to the coast on Friday. Great, great thing. Normal springs. You'd get there, see the beautiful open skies. And in order to get there, you'll have to come and ask me afterwards. I'll show you on a video I took as we pulled over in I think it was eight inches of snow by then, 
By the way, we didn't take the, the road that goes high like over the 26. We went the 6, which is just a hilly road. It's not even a big deal. And we pulled over, and I said, you're kidding me. Debbie's going, good, we get to spend the night at the coast. <laughs> so uh, we, had, we had a great time. But it, uh, what a difference a day makes. It does so in weather, and it does so in life. Um, it actually is a great description for what I want to talk about today. Because it, it, it seems it makes, it, it, it really, it's an easy case to make for the fact that we, we can go from cloudy to sunny real quick. And the reverse is also true, is it not? We can go from a glorious day, hey, let's go maybe, maybe golf today, maybe mow the lawn, something that you can't do in the winter here without your mower disappearing in mud beneath your feet. I mean, it's too heavy. Um, so, so I, I know I exaggerate, but that's my yard anyway. Uh, but you know what it's like, and so do I, to go from, I'm on top of the world, look at, you know, that moment? And then, and then you sink, and you sink hard and fast. And you think to yourself, yesterday, <laughs> all my troubles seem so far away. Now, this is not going to be a bunch of songs by me, okay? <laughs> so relax, everyone, all right? I will tell you this as a way of advertisement. Next time you hear there's a hymn sing in this building, there was one yesterday, and we wanted it to keep going and going and going. It was so good. It was, I don't know, 20 hymns, I don't know, maybe more, 30, and how many? 20. 20, well, I was close, okay, look at that, and it was so good. Anyway, enough of that. All right. My Bible's open to Acts 19 because it is a picture of what a difference a day makes. I'd like you to turn there. As you're turning in your Bibles, and I hope everybody has them, um, I, uh, I want you to recall something that we left off on last week in our study. Um, there's power in the name. You remember the study. So that was last week in Acts, same chapter, 19. And... <clears throat> It was, you'll recall, a very scary moment where a demon-possessed man uh, had an altercation with, count them, seven sons of the Jewish high priest in Ephesus. This is all taking place in um, western Turkey, the southwestern Turkey coastal city of Ephesus. And these Seven sons of the priest come up to this man who had a demon, and they trifled with this demon. They actually didn't have any idea of the power they were about to encounter. And somehow it tipped over or ticked off the demon. And from this man, it, it, it went off. It went postal, we might say. And verse 16, just to summarize it in a single verse, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on the seven and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, in one sense, you kind of go, well, you had it coming, you bunch of jerks. What were you thinking? And I know somebody that I really respect that, that thinks there's great comedy in this picture. But you and I know past the comedy, and if you don't, today you will. There's something going on here that's big, and it's not to be uh, um, trifled with. It's a serious kind of situation, and it has to do with a resistance from an unseen force. If you were a missionary from a third world country right now, you would want to take the microphone and say, well, it's not so unseen there. It's how we live. That's what goes on. And I'm going to argue that it's probably uh, not so unseen here, though we don't identify it as readily and obviously. So hear me clear. You're going to be distracted like you haven't been distracted before. When we get into God's word, if my if my prayers ramping up to this presentation are any indication. I, I really feel God's got something for us here and uh, for all of us. 
And it may not just be for you. It may be for someone you love. You're here. Uh, think of yourself as representing them. You're about to take away some truth that can, as Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, you will know that truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free. Nothing, nothing comes close to the freedom of a demon leaves a person and never comes back. Amen? Okay, so we got to get there. Um, the, the, the situation here resulted in some pretty amazing immediate outcomes. Verse 17 says they were gripped with fear. That's what happens when you uh, encounter something like this. There's a moment of my, my, there's chills. I got my hair standing up on my neck. We say it different ways. But from the fear came, same verse, verse 17, a lifting up of Jesus. His name was lifted up. I'm, I'm taken back to 1714 right now. Any of you there? <laughs> just kidding, okay? It's just a joke. Uh, 1714, 300 years ago almost, right? Um, maybe it's 1734. Anyway, I, I calculated it earlier. It was a, a man who had the word of God open, happened to be in Hebrews, a passage that he preached on, and it was so powerful, the Holy Spirit touched so many people that people left church that day and they fled into the streets crying out loud, God have mercy on me, Luke 18, the sinner. His name was Jonathan Edwards. His sermon was sinners in the hands of an angry God. He, he didn't make it up, but he, he, he presented in very graphic terms just how near the precipice many people live between life and not only death, but eternal separation from a God that can fix your problem called sin. People got it that day. And I think they got it this day in Ephesus. There's fear, and, it, and there was fear in that day. People ran from church. Fearing for their lives for good cause, not because the devil's going to get them, but because they didn't have the credential they need to be with God in heaven for eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ and his covering of their sin. If you're that person, don't leave here today without that assurance. Don't do it. Um, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you could read 18 and 19, but you know what the people in that city that was so full of darkness did? They gathered up all their books of incantations, all of their demonic material, and brought it to a giant fire and burned it up. They said, we're done with this. Not only clean hands, that came from a pure heart, from a good heart. Amen? By the way, that's how it happens still. So don't, don't try to clean up your act. Surrender your heart. Jesus will take care of your act. Okay? I really believe that. But you'll have some stuff to do. you got some things to get over and get rid of. But Jesus says, I want access to your heart, and I will address the habits of your heart. The Holy Spirit does that. Okay? So that's good news for you. Don't go around thinking, I got to get over this habit. Man, I, I got a foul mouth. I got uh, a problem with pornography. I've got, a, uh, I've got a, uh, a drinking problem, a gambling problem. I don't care what your problem is. We could go on and on and fill the rest of this sermon with a list of problems. Not one of them will permanently leave you without help. And that's where God says, I got it. You come my way, more, more than that, you let me come your way and enter into your life, and it will transform you. Not in a nanosecond, but little by little, that habit goes away. All right. They cleaned up their act, and God's still doing that today. I love the outcome of verse 20. It's like my favorite stopping point before we move on. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely, no surprise there, right? And grew in power. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, when uh, strike while the iron's hot? You know that expression from blacksmithing? It's the idea where you take a piece of 
iron and you superheat it in a fire and then move it quickly over with its bright red, move it to an anvil and beat it into the shape you're trying to make it. That works in blacksmith. It's also an idiom for this statement, to act on an opportunity promptly with what, while favorable conditions exist. There was a favorable condition that surfaced here. And that's how I read verses 21 and 22. Paul's like, okay, great things just happened. This mess just got cleaned up. And he, verse 21, after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Now, just a quick point of reference. If you're in Ephesus, Jerusalem is due east a long ways. Okay? But he's going to pass through Macedonia, which is north and west. And Achaia, which is north, west, and then south. It's really across the, wanted to call it a pond. It's the Aegean Sea. Ephesus, you could look with a good set of binoculars, actually more than that, but you can get to the other side and you're looking at Corinth and past it, or Athens and past it, Corinth. Okay, so that's a little setting. It's important because he, he's going to go back to Jerusalem, but he's going to take the route he was on in his second missions trip. And then he says, after I've been there, I must also then come back this way and head even further west and north to Rome, which he does in his fourth trip. Look at verse 22. He sent two of his helpers in this moment, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. I wish we had another hour on that last. He stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. You know why? Because if you've been part of this series, you remember back to chapter 16, not once but twice, Paul sought permission from the Holy Spirit to go where? Asia. Holy Spirit said, not now, not now, bro. Keep moving. I want you to go to Europe. Don't stop in Asia. And he's like, why? Have you ever had that moment? You wanted to go someplace? You had a plan to go there? It made sense to you? And then the Holy Spirit says, no, not right now. Well, the, whole, the time came when right now worked. And so he is here in Asia, Turkey. And he is actually planning to stay a little longer here. So that's what he did. He sends these two, and they go back to those cities in Macedonia. They're Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea. All those places we've spent some time. We kind of went there and camped out a little bit. It was good, and we'll come back to them again in a future study. Um, so while he is, I'm going to just make it real time so it feels alive. I'm guessing while he sent them on, while he was packing his bags. Fair enough? So they're going there. They're going to check on those churches. I'm, I'm, I got some packing to do. Suddenly, trouble erupts in Ephesus. Read it with me and you'll see what I mean. About this time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The way we covered last time. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. It's about the gospel. This person of Jesus, that's, that's the epicenter of this disturbance. Man, thank you, Lord. Okay, so let me tell you something. That's the epicenter of the disturbance in the soul of a human being. Your heart's going to go, what do you want me to do? I don't want to give that up. I don't want to change that. Um, and And... And that disturbance isn't just an ancient city somewhere. That's a disturbance that happens. People come to Jesus and they surrender to Jesus and they often report, wow, the, the battle got intense. You're going to find out why this morning. The devil's not exactly happy with your decision when you choose to turn to Jesus and turn away from the darkness. Amen? It's really true. He doesn't just go, oh, lost another one. Another one bites the dust. I guess I'll... No, no, no. Okay, stay with me now. Verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance 
about the way, about Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, more on that in a minute, brought in a lot of business as a craftsman there. He was a wealthy businessman. He called them together, and uh, along with the workers in related trades, think supply chain, that we, that's, we're familiar with that today. And he said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, these shrines, these silver shrines that we make. We're making bank here. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and that's happening all over the province of Asia. In other words, across the country. He says that gods made by human hands, you see little g there, are no gods at all. There, in, there, there is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name. In other words, we're going to lose our shirt financially. But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. That is a crock. I read that, and every time I read it, I go, you know, dude, you don't care a rip about the honor of this false god Artemis. You care about money. That's what you care about. You got hit in the wallet. That's what hacks you off. Okay, my little commentary. Here we go. So when these guys, he's got a gathering of them. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Imagine the man. Paul is just filled with fire here. He's like, oh, great, there's a big crowd, and they hate me. Let's go. <laughs> Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a quick uh, text and said, hey, don't come. You could die here. These people want to hurt you. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. <laughs> Look at this statement. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> oh, man, this is good. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. Go ahead and explain it. Get us through this. This is getting ugly. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they said, get out of here. They all shouted in unison then for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they went on, great is, the Ar is Artis, uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. <laughs> what a difference a day makes. Um, <clears throat> a full-blown riot instigated, no secret, Demetrius. Um, business was hurting, and as a result uh, of the, the diminished interest, not only in the city, but all over the country. They, in other words, their shipments were down. No one's, the demand's over. People don't want eight-track tapes, you know? I mean, it's, it's, you can pick whatever it happens to relate to in your mind. If the economic hit doesn't arouse concern, then, then he pulls this phony baloney, like, like pious attitude toward Artemis and uh, tries to appeal to her devotees that way. Uh, by the way, that was the flashpoint. Verse, verse 27 is the flashpoint, and it, and it leads to a serious reaction uh, by the people. In their fury, they search for Paul, and you and I just read it. They dragged two of his uh, travel team, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus. They dragged them in there, and you don't have to be creative to imagine the outcome's not going to be good for them. 
if the crowd has their way. Paul, of course, doesn't go there. And you might wonder, um, where's the theater? What kind of theater? What's the seating capacity? It's massive, and it still exists to this day. 25,000 people packed into this joint. No roof over it. They've done that in more modern times, little um, awnings and things like that, but or large awnings. But So they're, they're gathered there. It's a packed house. And now it changes the tone, the volume you just heard when I said uh, the words of the chant for, what was it, two hours? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And this thunderous crowd of of folks packed in here, and there are two guys with crosshairs on them. This doesn't look good. Uh, <clears throat> and then, it, 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 by the way, it went on for two hours. Um, I'm going to say just a quick thing in passing. Have you ever been in um, a situation where group think took over? Portland had a lot of that in the last two or three years, especially when there's riots every day. I know some of the people that went down there, and they said, I said, why, why would you go down there? I don't know. Wow, you're not the first one that said, I don't know. Thousands of them joined here. We're told most of them didn't even know what they were there for, but they were worked up in a lather. And in, in group think situations, confusion abounds and bad decisions multiply. It was happening here too. They could have pulled those guys apart limb by limb and gone, man, that was bloody. That was so gross and awful. Say, what did they do anyway? See, that's how it works. Anyway, enough on that. Um, two hours of this went on and then uh, an unnamed city worker. We're not told what he is. The highest rank I read anywhere of this man is may, maybe he was the mayor, but he doesn't even get a name in the text. He's just a guy. Uh, verse 35 introduces here, and he steps up and into the spotlight, spotlight in this moment to calm the crowd if possible, and he shows up with a calming, disarming demeanor and delivers a short speech um, that had the effect of, I'll say it on the front end, let's read it now, taming the tiger. This was a very angry crowd, and they were, they were stirred up in no small way. Verse 35, this clerk quietly uh, stands up, and he quiets the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? What a story. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, though they've neither robbed the temples nor blasphemed Artemis, our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, these two or others, the courts are open and they, there are proconsul. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in that setting, in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today, right here in our midst. In that case, we would not be able to account for all this commotion since there is really no legit reason for it. And after he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Um, he made a couple of comments, calming statements that in my estimation make him, they really distinguish him as a fairly competent mediator, this, art, this, this, this unknown man. He argued that since the world knew that Artemis was special and Ephesus was the recognized city uh, guardian of her temple, this false god Artemis, uh, why would you allow yourself to become so enraged and turn violent to defend 
Artemis who actually needs no defense. It's kind of what he's saying here. Why go there? Why stamp out any potential resistance? It's not necessary. And then he raises a logical question. Would somebody tell me the wisdom of harming two innocent people? You guys have it in for both of them. You're going to do away with two innocent people. And, and then he presents a better way um, of, of solving, really, this argument or whatever you want to call it that sealed the deal. He said, if there's a real grievance that needs redress, <laughs> made me think of the people's court. Remember the TV show, right? Don't take matters in your own hands. He could have almost said that in verses 38 and 39. Take them to court. That's what he's saying here. Don't do it in the street. Don't exact revenge or go crazy with this. And then he adds one more very reasonable statement in verse 40. Hey, guys, be careful. We are close to being charged by Rome, who runs the show, need I remind you, that we have not maintained peace and calm in this city. And when that happens, they come into our city or any place with overwhelming force to crush it. And along the way, there's martial law and all kinds of other ways that they can suffocate a city for doing stuff like this. Here's the deal. It worked. It worked. Verse 41, it's kind of a, well, yeah, okay, he's right. Let's go. Some of you that have been a part of this study, you remember well. We don't have to go there. Just remember it right now in passing. Chapter 4 of Acts, and then again in chapter 5 of Acts, the apostles, at that time it's Peter and John, are told, hey, hush your, hush your lips. No more of this talk about Jesus. They were brought in and told, hey, listen, guys, we respectfully, uh, or uh, we, we, we don't, you're no longer permitted. It was in Jerusalem at the time to talk about Jesus. You're upsetting the city. Uh, we don't agree with you to begin with. And you need to hush. You need to uh, put a sock in it. Remember their response in chapter 5, verse 39? We respectfully refuse, for we must obey God rather than any human authority. And you know what happened then? The Sanhedrin, that was the group speaking, blew a circuit. They went nuts. They lost control, and they moved on them, ready to kill them themselves. And a man in the crowd, one of them, stood up. He has a name that we remember, isn't it? Remember? Gamaliel? And he stands up, and it's a beautiful, calming effect. He says, guys, there's been all kinds of different religions that come and go. And he points out a couple of them. They were strong and, 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 and they were taken off like a rocket. Big numbers. Then their leader died. Where are they today? They're gone. And he points out a second one. Then he, then he presses his wisdom and says, guys, here's the deal. If these guys are just like them, this thing will die out in no time. It's not going to go anywhere. Don't you get no traction? This is just a little hype. But it'll be over. And we get back to, we're in charge. Comma. But gentlemen, hear me straight. If this truly is a thing from God, there ain't nothing you can do to stop it. Amen? I just love saying that. It's just like, you can apply that anywhere you want. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Ask the servant of Elisha who flipped out when he saw, we're surrounded and we're going down. Elisha, hey, wake up. Come on, we've got a problem here. Elisha goes out, sipping his morning coffee and says, hmm, 
Look at the numbers. We got it. What do you mean we've got it? And he says, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I see. And there were warriors of God in much greater number than those from Assyria that came to mess around. Praise God. That's what's going on here. Um, but there's more to meet the eye in this conflict. That's what I want to spend the balance of a few minutes talking about. Okay? So we're done with Acts right now. But there's something going on here that is uh, possible to miss. And that's the greater conflict between the living God and the devil. Okay. Um, such conflict was real then, and it remains no less real today. Remember last Sunday? Apparently many of you did, not just here but in faraway places, because um, with great care you wrote, wrote me and reached out and asked me, how you doing, Pastor? I could sense you were hurting. And uh, I, I, I regret not telling you everything's okay with Debbie, because many of you asked, and, and she wasn't here, and uh, you sort of put together a, a painful possibility. It, it, it wasn't. Um, but last Sunday involved something that um, in 43 years of delivering messages, of, of making messages and presenting them, uh, I've learned this to be true. Um, and that is that when you are about to bump into something in the pulpit, you can almost guarantee you're going to be faced with that, Steve, I'm talking about myself, in your life. And there's a whole list. I started making a list of moments like that in 43 years of doing this. And, and it's an overwhelming list. But remember, turn the other cheek, Jesus' words. Uh, more than once I've preached on that. And more than once I've had to um, really deal with the difficulty of turning the other cheek when some enemy comes after me, like in days uh, as I'm preparing to preach that message. It's just kind of a standard thing. Patience, that's an easy one. That's why I don't preach on it ever. I just <laughs> ever don't want to do that. But seriously, somebody's late or somebody makes me late, and I'm just like, oh, come on, you know, get, let's go. And, uh, and then there's money. Um, if you ever hear that I'm about to preach on money, Take all that you have in the stock market out. <laughs> because the Lord's just like, really, Steve? Because the Bible says a bunch about money, more about money than heaven and hell combined. It's a big deal because there's much potential harm if you don't do it God's way. So I've learned that over the years. Sure enough, boy, we're down, you know, and, you know, hide your money in your mattress was my point on that one. But... Uh, Here's another one that gets really personal. When I, when I present a message on marriage, I'm not kidding you. Debbie and I will, we're, we're on to it now, but we will have uh, some degree of a conflict often on the way to church that morning. Right? So I'm going to talk about marriage. <clears throat> it's just not good. And the Lord's saying, dude, I want to start with you. That's how I talk, okay? But he's saying, Steve, that's, 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 we got to start with your marriage. And that's a good thing. So that's, the, that's the place to start. And, and spiritual conflict, um, when you bring stuff like we're talking about now up, um, the devil takes aim. And we're told in 1 Peter 5, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, for your adversary, the devil, prowls about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I love watching lions on Africa specials or wherever, but I don't want that lion wanting me. Okay? So... Um, 
Last Sunday, the conflict um, uh, was like the conflict today. Uh, and it was a conflict that dealt with the Spirit of God. And last week, it was um, an evil spirit in this man. Think devil when you read those words. Um, today's conflict again pits the one true God and a false God, Artemis. Think again, devil. The Bible describes the devil with these words, Ephesians 2 verse 2, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. That's where I got my title. The devil is the commander of powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Ephesians 2, verse 2. Interesting. It finds its way into the letter that's addressing these people in Acts, in, in Ephesus or Ephesians. In the words of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, one of our favorites, the devil is described as the prince of darkness. And he are, here are the words of that verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Boom. Know that word? Done. You can pick your word. Out. Finished. Through. Adios. I don't care what language you pick, one little word shall fell him. Uh, this is real to me. A number of years ago, I was elected to be a, uh, an official in a local school district. I was warned about what I was getting into that there's much darkness driving policy, I was told, in that district. The words I heard, I had not heard them before then, were don't poke the bear. That was from somebody who was an official in that school district who actually loved Jesus. And he says, I've been here a long time, and I just want to make you aware of what you're getting into. I did not go into that position with the interest of poking the bear but I didn't go into it to hide and not be a voice and so I did I spoke and um, and things happened and I discovered that the prince of darkness was in fact very grim in a school district that's as by policy, lost its way. And they practice uh, Isaiah 5, verse 20, all day long. Woe to you who call wrong right, who call light darkness, and on and on it goes. I've heard something about cockroaches. Um, we don't have them in our home, I'm really happy to report, but... Um, that the cockroaches, uh, somebody, maybe it's a quib, but it's probably true, that they're going to survive a nuclear holocaust, that these are bulletproof little awfuls, right? They're, 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 they're terrible things. I don't know about that, but I do know one thing about them. They, light, they live in darkness, don't they? Remember one time, I forget where we were, and I came into the kitchen and flipped on the light, and I was like, <laughs> come on, honey, let's go. <laughs> It was bad. But they quickly did what? They scattered. And they, and they took to hiding again. 
And, and, and they were only temporarily hiding because they'll be back. Why? Because they live there. So too, the devil. Um, knowing there is resistance from powers of darkness, sometimes grim resistance, what I'm going to share with you at the end here will cause things to turn out differently for you. Not maybe, but certainly. Okay? So here it is. Jesus went toe-to-toe with the devil. If you were to take time in your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 4 or Luke chapter 4, easy to find both, you would find the story of Jesus going toe-to-toe with the devil. Um, He did that at the beginning of his ministry, right after his baptism, when he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and he faced the devil face to face. It's also true at the end of Jesus' ministry. When they're in the upper room and they have communion, they share Passover together, that final meal on the last night of his earthly life. And on that night that he was arrested, he duked it out with the devil. Um, The Matthew 4 story causes me to point to two principles that are transferable to you and me. Jesus went face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the devil. That's happening, though we may not always know it or be aware of it. And secondly, the devil left him. Verse 11 in Matthew's telling of that story of temptation in the wilderness Verse 11 says the devil left him and angels came from heaven and ministered to him. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. While battling the devil, Jesus was demonstrating the meaning of the words in James chapter 4. It's one of his half-brothers that wrote that, James. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. When he said, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. And that's what I want us to do the rest of our morning. You say, well, it's 10 after, Pastor. Uh, We're going to end this service differently than we've ever. Um, I'm going to have you take some time with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to come close in a time for you to come close. Come before him with everything that's going on in you and about you and near somebody that you know and love, a family member or a friend. We're going to have song playing. and We're going to invite you, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to stay seated, feel free to do that. If you who are in the house want to come down here and just kneel at the altar and stay here, do that. But for now, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And let me lead us in prayer as the worship team just kind of gently resets. Um, Let me say it clearly. Many of us have been in the fight. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, Paul said. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil forces and evil spirits and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The devil has been brutal, and he's done what he does, sought to kill, 
sought to steal and sought to destroy everything about you because he resents what you're becoming. A transformed person into the image of Jesus Christ. If you're the enemy, you're not going to take that laying down. You're not just going to pull back and move on. You're going to present so many problems and troubles, trials, complications, conflicts, that people are just beaten up and kicked to the curb if he has his way. But the devil has left for now. The Holy Spirit wants to minister to us as angels did to Jesus. I believe that's what's supposed to happen right now. And just as we're led in song this morning, I want to invite you to make it very personal. To bring before him moments where you've dabbled with darkness or maybe you've under-responded. You knew that wasn't good. You knew it wasn't right. You knew it wasn't healthy or holy. You knew it was doing damage. You may have not been beaten and bloodied and ran away barely with your life. But maybe it's something that's slowly destroying your soul. You have all kinds of people with their answers to your alcohol problem. Or your gambling problem. Or your porn problem. And the devil's happy to have you chase off after all of that. Does it have a place? Sure it does. But not until he has his place in your heart. If you're one of those people today, you need to come before him and, and submit yourself to him. And at the same time, resist the devil. Say it with your words. If prompted, just cry it out. God, in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command these demon spirits, these evil spirits, the devil himself, to, to flee from me. And instead, I plan to draw near to you, God, with the promise that you will draw near to me. And after a bit, some of you may wish to leave, and that's fine. We'll prompt it at a little bit later for you to feel free to do so. And then, would you leave quietly and go to the gathering room, the prayer room perhaps, or to the cafe next door? The rest of us will stay here and just stay as long as we want. So we're set free. Amen. <laughs>